You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. Join with me in listening to the word of the Lord. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrgum, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you've seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, 
and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Jenny. Uh, well, good morning, guys. My name is Alan. I am uh, one of the staff here with Aligning Life, and it's just really sweet to be with you guys. Seeing that um, that foundations crew uh, up there got me thinking about my freshman year here a little bit. I got involved in Aligning Life as a freshman, and um, but even I, I feel like I want to go back before freshman year because freshman year is like I don't know if you guys feel this like the tension between peak. I was awesome in high school, and then like, uh-oh, what's going on uh, in college? Uh, at least I felt this. And I think, uh, so I feel like let's look to the good stuff first. Um, so I once was a high school senior. Can we put this up here? Um, uh, yeah, still, yeah, no, no, it's not Um The way I came to college, I thought was super cool. Um, I played high school football pretty good. I was third team all conference as an offensive guard out of 10 schools, so uh, top 30%. Um, my whole goal my freshman year um, was to help get our football team to the playoffs. Um, in high school football, that doesn't take much. You just have to finish five and four. Yeah, guys, I really love football. Uh, <clears throat> and I loved our team. I loved my friends on the team. Uh, I felt like I was on top of the world. Um, and yet it was actually at that confluence of things that football was not the most important thing in my life, actually. My senior year, I um, had been going to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, through some friends on the football team, and I became a follower of Jesus through their influence and through God working in my heart. Um, and so I became a believer that year, but football, uh, really important. And so I was so into football that I took all that energy uh, that I was supposed to spend applying for colleges to apply to two. Uh, I think you're supposed to apply to 12 now. Is that the prereq or something like that? Who, who, what's the most, who thinks they apply to the most schools here? One? How many? 14? 14, okay. 14, anybody beat 14? No, okay, yep. 32? 32, Okay. Okay, so subtract 30 from that, and that's how many I applied to. Um, I applied here at Illinois and to a small engineering school that my dad went to in Terre Haute, Indiana, called Rolls-Holman. You've heard of it? Um, my dad went there without even seeing it. He lived in Wisconsin. He just went. Uh, I thought, okay. Um, now, as the applications went out, at the same time, I can tell you we made the playoffs. We went five and four, and we made the playoffs. We went down to Hillsboro, Illinois, uh, for an away game, we had to play on a Saturday for the first time ever. Uh, we always play on Friday night. Uh, we played on a Saturday, and it was rainy. And in the middle of the game, somebody cut blocked me, and I heard a pop. Uh, the athletic trainer thought that I had broken my knee, and so he sent me off to the hospital. Uh, no, no break, uh, but I got back, listened to the game on the radio, got back and found that we had lost. Found out I'd, I'd partially torn my MCL, a ligament in my knee, uh, and we were not playing football anymore. I was not playing football anymore, just like that. So when the opportunity to play football in college came up, uh, I loved it. The idea was still going deep in my heart. It was not here, to be very clear. 
Oh yeah, guys, I, I tell you, I love football. Um, I did not have the opportunity to play here, to be very clear. Uh, Rose Holman, though, is a small Division three school. Uh, I could have played there if I wanted to. And so I decided, along with a friend of mine from high school, uh, to go on a recruiting trip to Rose Holman. I don't know if you guys have ever been on like an athletic recruiting trip. I felt like big time, like it was so cool. They took us to dinner and took us to a volleyball game and showed us around campus and showed us their facilities. And it was really fun. Uh, but the night went on. It was an overnight trip. <clears throat> and at some point, the coaching staff left us, and it was just us and the players. And he said, what's the best way to recruit a high schooler to come to play with us? Let's take him to a house party. Uh, and so I went to a house party. This brand new believer uh, went to this house party and was freaked out. I didn't know what to do. I remember my friend and I both being handed red solo cups and me saying, no, thank you. And then spending the next few hours just like, what is going on around me? I remember calling my girlfriend at the time from the outside of the house, like, I don't know what to do. I'm freaking out. And this isn't like, if you guys, like, there's ways that you can have revelry and honor the Lord. This was not that. Uh, <clears throat> and I felt trapped. I don't remember much of the night, but I remember uh, getting up that, or being up that morning finally and like being like very excited to go back home. And I thought of this story when I was trying to figure out, how do I think about Pergamum, the city that we're going to talk about today, this place that was in the midst of so many other powers that were not pointing to God. And for that moment, I felt like that. Um, needless to say, I did not go to Rose Holman, and that recruiting trip was one of the reasons I did not play this game that I love anymore. Because I didn't feel like that was the influence I wanted in my life. Now, I've had other situations, don't get me wrong, that have had influences that have pulled me from God, influences that I've chosen, but that was one that felt clear, and it was this hard choice that I had to make. And I think... Jesus is putting this hard choice before Pergamum. He's putting it before all of us. Is how do we walk faithfully with God for our whole lives? And so we are do looking at this, this book, this city, in this book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. It's a beast of a book. Pun kind of intended. Uh, it's apocalyptic literature. And in a lot of ways, we don't have all of the tools to know what it would have meant to its original audience. But we have a lot of them, and we're... We're working through them. But because it's such of a beast of a book, we said, let's dial in a little tighter. And so we're looking at the very beginning of the book, these seven letters written to seven real churches of Asia Minor, which is what would be modern-day Turkey, which is a pretty significant geographic place. It's the bridge between the Middle East and Europe. It's the bridge between Israel and Rome. It was important for the gospel's movement uh, throughout the empire. And as we've gone through each of these letters, one at a time, I've loved that we've gotten a few things. First off, I love that we've gotten a chance to dip our toes into the language of prophecy and apocalyptic literature. Just like a little bit, like dipping our toes into like, what does that symbol mean? What's going on there? We're just getting a chance to figure it out a little bit. The second thing I love about these books is we're also getting a chance to look at real situations, real challenges for real people a little over half a century after Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, I love that we have this well-preserved situations laid out for us. And it's corroborated by other history uh, in Rome. And I love looking at the challenges they faced because in a lot of ways, I don't think they're that different for us today. These letters were meant to be circulated. It wasn't just one to each church. They were meant to be circulated. And so they had value for each church, which I think that means they have value for us. Which brings me to the last thing I love about this is scripture is a mirror. And so it gives us a chance to look at ourselves in these churches, in these cities, and see where 
do we need help? Where do we need to grow? Where do we need to lean towards God? To say it differently, in these letters, Jesus calls these churches upward, and he's doing the same for us. So today, the heart of Jesus and our eyes turn to the city and the church in Pergamum, which sounds like a like fall flower. Like, did you get the Pergamums at Kohl's? <clears throat> um, let's talk about Pergamum. Pergamum was a city on the west side of Asia Minor. So you can see over here, this is a map of uh, roads in that area, Roman roads. And you'll see the cities along this red here, you might have heard, we've, we've done the letters from Ephesus, Smyrna, up to Pergamum on the green, back down to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. This letter, this revelation, would have traveled along this path most likely, real naturally. And so Pergamum is right up there, about 18 miles off of the Aegean Sea. And it was situated kind of like as a citadel, like it was above a plain as a city. Can we go to that next one? Um, so you could look down from the city top. It was a great battle spot. It was a strategic spot. Um, it was perfectly situated. In fact, it was so perfectly situated, it was the capital of the area before Ephesus gained that title. So it was an important city. Um, you can go there, look at the ruins. If you want to go to modern-day Bergama, Turkey, you could go there and look at it. It's really cool looking at some of the pictures. I'm like, that'd be neat to do sometime. Um, so as a major hub, though, it had a few things going for it in the modern to that day world. First off, it had a big old temple to Zeus. Had plenty of temples, but a temple to Zeus is pretty significant for religious power. Not only that, though, it was also because of its strategic location, uh, it was also a place where uh, you would have seen a lot of emperor worship happening. And I don't know if this story sounds familiar, but this was a society that had a lot of different gods. Um, but as one person asserted their authority, it became less about the deities and more about that person being the king, the king of kings. Uh, in fact, it would not have been uncommon to ask when you're talking about the emperor to call him their lord and savior. So this city, Zeus, the emperor, plenty of other influences this is the city that we're writing to, that Jesus is writing to. This deeply concentrated religious, political, social power right here in Pergamum. So with that, I'd love for us to start to look at this letter. Um, we heard JD read it to us. Thank you, JD. Um, JDs are interchangeable, it turns out. Um, his son has read, read for us for the last two times. Thank you, JD. Um, we're going to look at the, just the letter to Pergamum. Each week we're hearing the beginning of the letter sequence, uh, and then we're hearing the letter that we're reading that week. And so today we're looking at Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. So it'll be up here uh, all in one chunk. It's not too big to uh, fit on one screen. So you guys can sort of follow along, um, and we're going to highlight each section as we go through it. Um, with that, let's start um, in Revelation 2, verse 12. And, the angel, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Okay, Jesus starts these letters out, each of them introducing himself in some way, most of them tied to that beginning sequence. And so uh, if you remember in Revelation 1.16, if you heard it, and if you didn't hear it, you can look it up, uh, Jesus is introduced as the one with the sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Striking picture. Uh... What's neat about it is oftentimes scripture is described as a two-edged sword. God's word is a double-edged sword. And so, um, for example, in Hebrews 
The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. God's word, well, actually, let's go on, because I just think it's helpful. Uh, in discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So Jesus is describing himself as the one with the two-edged sword, the one who has word that is going to discern your intentions and your motives as you go about the world. So each of these introductions are tied to the content and the situation of each church. So remember that. The word is important. Let's go on to verse 13. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Okay, can I tell you, like, my favorite thing as we've been reading these letters? It's, it's two words. I know. There's something really powerful and beautiful that Jesus would say that he knows us. In, in five of the letters, it's, it's something about their deeds. I know your deeds. I know your actions. I know your works. In two of them, last week and this week, he says something about their situation, their circumstances. He says, I know where you dwell. I know what you're up against. And so much so that the name of Satan is invoked twice, repeated. Repetition in the Bible is important. Repetition is important in general probably, but we're here at church talking about the Bible, so let's talk about it here. Um, they lived where Satan's throne was. And yet they hold fast. They are standing firm in the faith. It's way probably more intense than a frat party. And they're holding strong. So strong that Antipas, I don't know much about him, but Antipas is killed for his faith. I don't know if you, it's not a very common name right now. Um, we did not consider it for our kids. Uh, but if you're looking for a biblical name, Antipas, guys. Um, here's the deal. As, as we look at scripture, we see Stephen martyred for the faith. We see James. And the very next recorded name we have is Antipas, chronologically. So like, this guy, pretty big deal. He was killed for being a Christian. And yet they're holding fast to the faith in the midst of that. And then we come back to the repetition. This is where Satan works. Not just where he lives, but where he works. He works from home. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew that. Uh, big, big early adopter of that. Um, all to say, if you think about these things, we talked about the city of Pergamum. Let me help you just tie the, connect the dots. Emperor worship, big uh, deity worship in Zeus, influences that are causing Christians to be killed, Satan is active in this space. Not just physically, oh, there's a temple, but working and active and causing people to die for the faith. Pergamum is a pressure cooker for the faith. And so, great. These letters are always like, hey, something like, commendable, you guys are doing great, but also I've got something to talk to you about. Which, man, I hope, I would just love that Jesus would do that to us. He would give us a compliment sandwich. Um, like, you guys are doing great. You got some stuff to work on. But hey, if you finish well, we're, we're, it's going to be great. Um, let's go on to this, though. This is the things he has against them. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught, that Balak, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. 
Okay, a few weeks ago, we, we talked about Ephesus, and Jesus had something against them. Pergamum has a couple things. So they're like, worse, I guess? I don't know. Uh, we don't know exactly, but we know there's two specific things that are called out. The first is Balaam. Balaam's teachings. Do you guys know Balaam? Yeah, kind of. Okay, if you know Balaam, you know him for this. For the talking donkey. You guys know the talking donkey? Can we jump to that one, Sai? I did not spend zero minutes uh, looking to see if anybody had a good AI voice of Eddie Murphy as donkey to get him to say things like, Balaam, stop! Uh, also, Eddie Murphy is not on Cameo, if you were wondering for that. So, um, Anyway, this is what we got, a bad Photoshop. Um, what you know Balaam for is the talking donkey. And if you don't know him, you're like, there's a talking donkey in the Bible? Yes, it's weird. Uh, so anyway, Balak... He's the leader of the Moabites. Moab is a clan, uh, a, a space to the east of the promised land. The Israelites are actually going to have to go through it to get to the promised land. This is in the book of Numbers. Um, specifically, if you want to look at it up later, it's uh, around uh, chapter, hold on, I had it, 24, I believe. Um, I had it, sorry guys. Uh, and so Balak actually is the leader of the Moabites. And he said, hey, let's go get this guy, Balaam, son of Beor, and let's get him to curse the Israelites. And so Balaam's like, all right, let's go curse him. And God keeps telling Balaam, no, you can't do it. So much so that Balaam's not listening and he gets the donkey to talk to him. Because there's an angel of the Lord in front of him. The donkey's like, stop, donkey, or whatever. I don't know. Don't let me, don't let me do the voice, guys. Um, anyway, so Balaam can't curse the Israelites. He's not, it's not possible. In fact, he blesses them. And so if you know that story, which I'm, I'm looking at, I know, I'm like, What's the deal? Why is Balaam's teaching bad? Balaam kept bringing like fire for the kingdom. Well, here's the thing is, is all of our stories don't have one data point. All of our stories have a bunch of data points. And so Balaam actually goes, we go on to Numbers chapter 31. And we have this little, just little snippet. Uh, it says, um, they were the ones who deceived you, who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the Peor incident. There's a lot of history here, guys. So a plague struck the Lord's people. Balaam couldn't curse the Israelites at that time, but he wasn't, like, changed. And if he was, it wasn't forever. And so he actually was used uh, to be helped learn how do we lead the Israelites astray. And it wasn't through cursing. It was through leading them into sin. And I don't know about you guys, that feels a lot more relevant to my life. I don't feel like a lot of people are trying to curse me. Um, I think a lot more people are trying to lead me astray from God. God's people didn't need supernatural stuff to draw them away. The natural was enough. So that's Balaam, if you guys are wondering. If you want to look at that, Numbers, uh, fascinating stories in the Old Testament. The other thing is those gosh darn Nicolaitans. Uh, we hear them mention Ephesus, where the Ephesians, they don't like their teachings. There's some here in Pergamum who are like, yeah, that sounds fine. And we don't know a lot about what this heresy was, what this sect was, but we know that there was a problem with them. That's why they're called out. And so maybe it's helpful to, for you guys to see that these two things are tied together by something in between them. And this red text, uh, they 
eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. What's the big deal about food sacrificed to idols? Well, in the early church, as Gentiles, people who were not Jews, were being added to their number, they were like, how do we get everybody to be on the same page? How do we get everybody to do the same thing? And so there was an early council in the church in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 15, where they're like, hey, we should figure out what we should ask these Gentiles to deal with. Should we like get them circumcised? Everybody's like, no, that's a bit much. Uh, and so they decide on this. They said, um, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on, no, lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. One, that's like a short letter. Like, could you guys clarify a little bit? Uh, but two... This was the call for the early church. Like, hey, what's going to guide us together? What's going to hold us together? Let's not practice idolatry and let's not practice sexual immorality. And in some ways, it, it, it doesn't, it, it does and it doesn't matter whether the sexual, this sexual immorality was actually this or it just fit in right with idolatry. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, Israel is called sexually immoral, sexually unfaithful because they've gone away from their God. So whatever teachings are drawing God's people away from him in Pergamum, it's very clear they're drawing them away from them by this. And I know these hyperlinks, these things that all tie together, this is what makes this kind of literature kind of complicated is there's a lot of cross-references going on. But if I can drive something home for you clearly, is there something going on that references to the Old Testament and to the Nicolaitans that's saying these people are being, there's some people in their midst who are being unfaithful to God, even though many have held strong. So what does Jesus do to them? What does he say about them? Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. I don't know if you guys feel this, but like sometimes when you feel like God has something against you, you feel like, ah, shoot, I'm done. Jesus isn't saying they're done. He's saying actually he's inviting them to repent, to turn around, to look at the world differently to see things the way he does. But he says, if you don't, I'm going to come at you with the sword in my mouth, with the word of God, with truth. It's not even like he's coming to war with a physical sword. He's saying, I want to come at you with the word of God to correct you. And I, I want God to be so gracious to me when I don't repent to come at me with his word and his community to help me to repent. God consistently throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament gives his people chances. And just to be clear, repentance is not getting your life in order. For those of you that feel like you have to perform perfectly, that is not repentance. Repentance is living into the kingdom of God, recognizing who is in charge and living in light of that. If, it's not behavior management. Repentance is inviting God into your heart and to change your perspective. Jesus is not cutting these people off from straying. He's actually inviting them back into the fold. And so he goes on, and this is how each of these letters ends in some way, shape, or form. Um, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is verse 17. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one except the one who receives it. Uh, no one knows except the one who receives it. 
the way these books end. Hey, if you're listening, pay attention here. And here's what's going to happen if you stick with me. Uh, I don't know if a white stone sounds particularly exciting to you guys, unless you're like Prince Wednesday in Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Um, that's a lost reference, guys. That's fine. Um, it's sort of in between generations here on that one. Um, but let's talk about this. Uh, consistent in these letters, there's something good given. First off, the hidden manna. Uh, manna, manna. You guys know manna? Some of you know manna? What is it? That's exactly what it is. What is it? Manna, that was a Hebrew word for what is it, um, which is just awesome. Uh, and it was the food that God gave to the Israelites in their desert journey from Egypt until the promised land. So this hidden manna, this food that sustains, is given to the people who want to be sustained. Jesus is offering a way for us to stand strong, to be sustained when things don't seem like they're there to sustain us. Now, what about the white stone? Well, there's some speculation on this. I'm going to give you two possible things about the white stone. So you guys have this in the back of your mind if you're ever on Jeopardy or anything like that. The first is it seems like there were some practices in that area in that time where if you were to vote in a trial, whether somebody was guilty or innocent, you'd use a black stone to denote their guilt or a white stone to denote their innocence. So there's a chance that this means, hey, you're going to receive an innocent vote. You're going to receive acquittal from God in your sin. It's a worthwhile image. The second is uh, Ticketmaster was really into white stones at this time. They didn't have digital ticketing. So if you wanted to get into Taylor Swift's concert at the time, you'd have needed a white stone. Uh, a white stone was an admission to a party, to a banquet, to a show, something like that. It was a way to show that you belonged. So a white stone that acquits or a white stone that shows that we belong, either way, it's fun to think about both of them, right? But either way, this is what Jesus is offering us say that we belong, to say that we're okay. And we endure with him through these hardships. It's good. Okay, that's the letter to Pergamum. What do we do with that? Let me put it this way. The church at Ephesus had lost their love for God and for people. The church at Smyrna was being called to gird up for hardships. And the church at Pergamum has experienced the weight of worldly influence on their church. And they're starting to splinter. There's people who are not following. There's people who are just being sustained. There's people who are being killed. So even though they're sustained, there's subtle influences of idolatry in their community. There's also strong influences that are killing people. And so if I were to tweet this or X this or whatever it is, I'd say that really it's strong and subtle influences pull us away from God. The strong influences of the world around us pull us really strongly but there's subtle things going on in our lives that pull us away from God. And oftentimes we focus on the strong ones, but I want to talk about the subtle ones here in a little bit. So what do we do? We're invited to repent. Repentance is what Jesus uses to call us upward. So let's talk about those strong influences for just a second. I have a friend from high school. Um, I'm going I'm to talk about this really callously, but it's really sad for me just to be clear. Like, he, um, he's like, he, we went to like youth group stuff together, but he's, he's not walking with God. In fact, his most recent Facebook album was a picture of his to the satanic temple. 
thought, okay, that's interesting. I'm not going to look at that album. Um, and, and I think like, oh, that's where the seed of Satan is. Great, avoid that. Here's the thing though. I'm not tempted by that. Are you guys? It's like, yeah, let's go to the Satanist temple and worship Satan. Don't cut that out and just do that clip, okay, guys? Uh, uh, that's not what's tempting for us. Those strong influences are not often the things that pull us away from God. It is the subtle things in our lives that draw us away from him. If where Satan's throne looked was, if where Satan's throne was looked like the Satanist temple, we would not buy it. But if where his throne was looked like your computer, your friend group, what you want to do with your life sometimes, that is worth paying attention to. The story of Balaam is a very real one for us, where God's people can be just tempted away from things. So where, what's it shape? How, how do we know we're being subtly influenced? And I'm not, oh, guys, I love some of this stuff. So let's talk, we can talk about the subtlety of these influences. There is subtlety in them, but like, woo. Uh, it shows up in what media I watch. It shows up in what music I listen to, what stories I tell myself and let society tell me, what social movements I latch on to, what I choose to put into my body and how much of it, what I think I or others can do with their bodies. We are, we are deeply spiritual, and our faith is a spiritual one, but it's also a very visceral and earthly one. We are made from dust. And the things that we do affect how we walk with God. Now, there's subtle influences like that, and we can talk about that, but let me tell you, there are some strong ones. They're not probably the Satanist temple, but like, have you ever thought, man, if that politician got elected, he or she would save us? Have you ever thought, man, that musician just sees me and they belong on the pantheon of the gods of my life. Are there those people that you hold up like the Pergamum church was called to hold up the emperor in? Those are often the strong influences. The subtle ones are more in like the music that they sing, the stuff going on in their life. Yeah, that's the, the subtle influences. Let me, let me see, if you're not tracking, let me see if I can help articulate it for you guys from my life. Um, I was not tempted by a drinking party my senior year of high school. That was not like the thing. I wasn't like, I'm going to go crazy. Like, that was not my thing. Um, there were things, though. I would show up on my computer that late at night that felt like that was really easy to be tempted and swayed by and shaped by. Shaped how I saw other people. Um, the things I, the shows that I love and consume and pay attention to, they teach me something about the way I'm supposed to look at sin Am I so easily swayed by that or am I paying attention to it? I don't know if you guys, like the show Ted Lasso, for example. There's parts of it where it feels like this is the way to live. And I'm like, no, it's not. But it seems like it looks pretty fine. Uh, here's another one. Radical individualism in our society. Like we are radically individualistic. And I think that shift has happened even more so in the past eight years or so. Um, where... It's easy to latch onto, this is for me, not, it doesn't matter if it's for you. And we start to break off relationship from people because they don't live exactly the way we want to live or they don't think exactly what we want to think. Uh, the instant and endless reels on any platform, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, they are so easy to one, 
make me think, oh, I better be entertained in a minute or less. And two, if I'm not entertained, I just get rid of it. It makes our relationships with every person about did you entertain me or not versus are you a child of God? Are you an image bearer? You guys making sense of this? So these little things, like they don't, they don't, they're not a big deal at first, right? But like they start to seep into our hearts and we start to see ourselves as drifting from God. And so this call to the church in Pergamum to repent is a call for us to reflect on our lives. What influences are there in your life that are kind of just slowly pulling you from God? There might be something really big and let's talk about that one. Maybe find somebody to talk to, a small group leader, a staff member, a pastor. Um, But I would invite you to reflect on your life and think about what are those subtle things? And you might even have some time. Maybe as we're singing worship songs, you're like, I don't want to sing right now. I want to think about this. Great. Grab your notebook, grab your notes app and write those things down. Talk to somebody about it. I heard some discussions happening on this, about this in uh, one of the small groups this weekend. I was really thankful for that. Not because I want you guys to change your lives in every way, but like I want you to pay attention and notice how you're being influenced away from God. So, if, so repentance is the antidote for this, right? And so like turning to God, asking God, how do I work through this? Looking at God's word, does it have anything to say about that? God's word has stuff to say about some of the things that we do or think. Not everything explicitly, Um, but it's worthwhile to look to it first and then look to the church because this repentance will call us upward. And I don't want you guys to be like, not like, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to be goofy. It's okay to like, the Israelites were great at festivals and parties, but it's what are we doing and what's, how's it influencing us? How's it shaping us? Where are we going with it? So if I were were to offer you the, the antidote, real simply to these subtle things in your life, look at them and call them out and invite God's word and the church into it. Look at them, call them out, invite people into it. My biggest hope for you guys, if I, I, could, I could say this, I think the Christian community in, in anywhere, and I think this is important in America, is we are not perfect, but we are good at repenting. And I would hope that we would be people who constantly, when we feel these influences shifting us and shifting our culture, we would return to God's word and return to him and be really good at repenting. Because I want you guys to finish. I don't want you guys to like make it to like 30 and then you get the spouse and the house and the job and everything like that. You're like, ah, God kind of got me everything. I want you guys to finish well. No matter the age, no matter the stage, in this constant cycle of paying attention to influences in your lives, I think will really help with that. I want you to be sustained by the manna. I want to see your white stone at the pearly gates. I want you to be in the kingdom forever with me. So with that, I'm going to pray and we get a chance to worship that king. We're going to have some t- a chance to reflect and pray. If you want to write some of that stuff down and think through those things, um, feel free to do so. But our band is going to lead us here in a minute. I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite them up.